Hey everyone, welcome back to the Ryan Nile Show. Hello people, welcome back to the Ryan Nile Show. Hope you're all doing well in the circumstances. I know it's crazy out there. Everyone's self-isolating and social distancing and it's just crazy. It's it's hard to it's hard to ignore the news and and everything like that, but you know, this is what podcasts are for. Um as a, a little bit of escapism. And hopefully this next episode will help you discover opportunities within this crisis, within yourself and out there in the world. So today I'm really excited to share a conversation I had with Rob Moore. Rob Moore is an author, public speaker, an entrepreneur and property investor. He's the co-founder of The Progressive Group. Rob's podcast, The Disruptive Entrepreneur, has over 1 million subscribers in 184 countries worldwide. So you may have heard of him already. Rob and I met at The Man Talk. I interviewed the founder of The Man Talk, Leon Lewis, in a previous episode. And I was so excited to be invited to his studio to interview him personally. We picked up on the theme of breaking through, disrupting yourself and reinventing yourself. And touched on things like how to be rich and happy, buying happiness, the joy of the journey being addicted to productivity, and so much more. If you want something to really understand how to break through your current situation, your current glass ceilings, your views on money, the things that have held us back for so long, this one is for you. Remember to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this. It really helps with the visibility of the show and we want to build this show to be massive. So please do that. Um, I've just started a Facebook group as well. So the Ryan Now Show community. Make sure you join that. I'd love to hear from you. I love hearing from you guys on my Instagram, on YouTube, etc. Let's keep that up. Any reviews that go out there, I'll be sure to give a shout out on the next episode. Remember, you can watch the full episode on youtube.com slash Ryan Nile. Follow me on at ryan.nile.show on Instagram and at Ryan Nile on Twitter. You can find Rob Moore on Rob Moore Progressive and search his books on Amazon or Audible. It's Rob Moore. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Let me know what you think. Hi, it's Rob Moore here. Welcome to the studio. And I'm here with Ryan Nile. Hello. So, Ryan, we are streaming out live to Facebook. Uh, and we're going to do about a half hour live stream to Instagram as well. Perfect. Simultaneous lives from the studio. Brilliant. Hitting you from all <laughs> Literally. <laughs> so I'm now going to hand over to Ryan. He's going to interview me for his podcast, The Ryan Nile Show. Definitely check that out on, I guess you're on all yeah, platforms. On, on all platforms, iTunes, on YouTube. Stitcher, et cetera. Yep. So Ryan and I were discussing maybe the themes for this podcast. He wants to talk about re- reinventing yourself, disrupting yourself, having a breakthroughs and breaking through your ceilings. Absolutely. I am your humble servant. The studio is yours. <laughs> Everything is yours. I am yours. Thank you. I love that. I love that. Thanks for being here. Well, Pleasure. Ops, thanks for letting me be here. I That's say. all right. Yeah, thanks for being in my, in my own studio. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what? Two seconds. Oh, That's his questions. Yeah, my anchor points. Jeez. Right. Thank you. Um, so we met briefly at the Man Talk yes. um, last month, which was amazing. And um, your story really resonated with me in that um, you said there was a portion of your life where you was in a lot of debt and you managed to get through that and you were, you were an artist and you turned into an investor. Um, can we talk a bit about that and how, how you went through that journey? Like what, um, how did you do that? Yeah, sure. So 
December the 15th, 2005, my dad had a nervous breakdown in his pub and it was pretty horrific for us. Um, quite brutal, he got treated pretty aggressively, like semi-beaten up by the police. It was a whole big thing in front of his, all of his customers in his pub. And um, my dad, my hero, my mum and my sister were outside the front of the pub when it all kicked off. Um, and before that, to be honest, I just kind of gently lost my way. So, so I wouldn't say that my life was doomed. Mm. I wasn't, like, suicidal. But what happened was my dad had sort of raised me to be an entrepreneur and he got me really interested in money and business and um, just general working. He got me working from the age of six, got me earning money, really young, working, bottling up in the pub, working in his pub, and I loved it. And so I kind of always looked up to him and wanted to be like that. I always knew I'd be working for myself as a businessman. Yeah. But then you go to school and you do your degree or you do your GCSEs and you, get, you follow the system. And I kind of just went into the system. And the system didn't suit me. Mm. It might suit, suit a doctor, a dentist, a lawyer. I'm not against the system. It just didn't suit me. But I, I went to, I got my GCSEs got my A-levels and went to university because that's what you're supposed to do. If, you've sp if you're vaguely intelligent, that's what you're supposed to do. I don't actually necessarily think that's the case now. I think there's some really smart people who don't have a degree, but yeah. that, that was what I was always taught by my school. Mm. Um, but of course, you get into debt going to uni. You've got to pay, um, pay the fees, you've got the accommodation, you go out drinking with your mates all the time. Um, and then I came back and I was, going, I was considering, do I go and do architecture in Australia, even though I didn't like architecture? But I didn't really know what to do. And at that time, my dad had, this was um, before my dad had had his breakdown, my dad had started to get ill. Right. So mum said, why don't you come back and work for at the pub for a bit and just help us out and get, yeah. us, get us through. Um, and that lasted like over three years. Mm. And I just built up debt from school, university, you know, working in the pub but not earning much money and just spending a bit too much on the credit cards. I got myself in 50 grand's worth of debt, give or take. Yeah. Um, and then that happened with my dad on December the 15th, 2005, and I was like... It was quite, I felt a lot of shame. I felt quite responsible. Mm. Um, Why did you feel responsible? Because I felt like I should be more successful and, pr and make right. my dad proud. And mm. I felt like he, I mean, my dad put himself in a lot of financial pressure to give my, me and my sister anything that we wanted. Mm. And it wasn't like we were spoiled. It was just, he'd help us with buying our first car. You know, he'd help pay my accommodation. He'd, pay for me to earn money in the pub. He'd let me go a bit early if I wanted to go out with my mates. He was always making sure we were right, probably because he never had that when he was a kid. Yeah. But inadvertently, I probably became a bit reliant on that. Right. I probably became a bit dependent, um, you know, maybe a bit complacent. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I felt a huge amount of responsibility that I was a part to play in what happened to my dad. Now, look, my dad made his own choices, but I could have made it easier, definitely. Right. So, I don't know, I had a few weeks of soul-searching. It's not like, on this day, at this time, <laughs> I saw a, be a beacon of light and I was awakened. I had weeks of moping around like a, you know, yeah. a mop, wondering what to do with myself and feeling embarrassed and ashamed and alone and useless. And I had a few serendipitous things happen. Mm. So number one was I'd been hanging some of my art in a, a gallery stroke furniture, like designer furniture shop in Peterborough. And I didn't sell much of my art in Peterborough. But this place, Elements, which is like a funky designer furniture store, 
I did all right there. And I got to know the owner of that shop quite well, Mike, and we, we get, got a bit of a friendship. He's like probably now in his 60s. Back then he was in his 50s, so he was like a bit of a little bit of a mentor to me. And yeah. I'd work in the shop on Sundays, or if he wanted to go and have a holiday for a day or two, I'd go and work in the shop for him, and I'd sit there drawing my, um, you know, very lifelike pencil drawings and then look, looking after the customers. And I loved his stock, and yeah. because he hung all my art. Um, and he said to me, Rob, you should get into property. And he'd, be, he'd been saying it to me for like probably two years. Mm. And I was like, well, I haven't got any money. And I, I, I'm back then, I was really into like rage against the machine and all this yeah, yeah. The political, fuck the system, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. sort of rock metal. So the thought of being a capitalist, greedy, you know, property investor tycoon, I just hated the thought mm, of that. Mm. I wanted to be a skin artist, you know. Struggling um, artist. Yeah, yeah standing yeah. So, for something. So romantic. Exactly. <laughs> well, you could be an artist and rich, why not? Exactly. But I didn't yeah. get that back then. Mm. Um, but then when I came back the week or two after what happened with my dad, I was like, so tell me about this property stuff then. I was all of a sudden more motivated. I was asking uh, okay. questions now. Got it. You know, people could have come to me with opportunities for 25 years and I'd be going, nah, can't, nah, bullshit, nah, scam, nah. Right. And now all of a sudden I'm like, what's this property thing? What's mm. this thing? What's this thing? What's this event? Where do I go? When does it start? Because I was motivated now. Right. Um, and yeah, I, I went to this property networking event locally. It was end of December 2005. The last person I met at that networking event was my business partner now, Mark Homer. No way. He had, um, he had some good cash in the bank. He had a bit more experience in property than me. We became friends. We went out socially. We were similar age, similar outlook. He was just further ahead in business and property. Right. Took me under his wing a bit. Um, and we bought 20 properties in the first year together with his money, his mum's money. We bought 30 the next year. His mum's money, his stepdad's money, and then private investor money. I didn't put any money in. Wow. I got 50% of upside, and he de-risked all of his money in. And we were, we were rolling. And yeah. um, he helped me get a job in a property training, sorry, in a property sourcing business. So, so selling properties to people, because back then, everyone was buying overseas off-plan, new build. Any property, people were buying them off a brochure, you know, in mm. 2006. Oh, yeah. The heyday before, before the before last recession, exactly. Yeah. Everyone was buying property. Yeah. So that so um, I I um, I sold my way out of debt. Um, I learned about finance and good debt versus bad debt. I refinanced the only house I had, um, and by the end of that year, I probably I got rid of all my debt. Probably earned almost six figures, maybe just a bit under. And I bought um, a two-year-old. Nissan 350Z with cash. Nice. And I've got, I mean, look, I've owned Ferraris. I remember that car, actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I've owned Ferraris, Lamborghinis, GTRs, Atoms, you name it. But pound for pound, buying that car, which was, I think I paid 20-something for it. Yeah. I was only in my mid-20s. Loved that car. Of course. Because uh, of what it represented. Yeah, because it represented me out of debt and being able to afford to buy a car. Exactly. And not on a loan mm. that I couldn't afford. Um, so yeah, that's how I got out of debt and that's how I sort of got started really. Amazing. So what's the link? Because you, you were considering going to do architecture in Australia. So was you always interested in property anyway? Um, no, no. My dad had always said to me, you should get into property. He'd bought right. pubs, bars, clubs, hotels, millionaire bust, millionaire bust, depending on. I mean, he had um, three big pubs in Mildenhall and villages around there. And when there was a lot of Americans over on the base, um, and he served them all and wow. his pubs were booming and he was definitely a millionaire then. And then when the Gulf War happened, mm -hmm. all the Americans gone out of Mildenhorn Lake and his trade just died immediately overnight. So, so you've, you know, seen, you've seen I've seen the highs and lows. Yeah, yeah. And well, I mean, Dad protected me from a lot of it. Got it. Um, I, I, I only know 
looking backwards. Yeah. But I only really got interested in property when I got interested in business. I only really got in b- interested in business when I got over my, you know, rage against the machine, fuck the system, <laughs> hate the world. Right, right. I mean, I still like rage against the machine. Of but Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, they're amazing. Um, what was I going to ask? Sorry, my mind's gone black. It's all right, you have to yeah, put, put it on the table if you want. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, so what I was going to say is that really resonated with me, the ups and downs, because um, I've had my own, or everyone does, but especially with kind of getting out of debt, and that's why hearing that story and where you've got to now, it's just been incredible. Um, yeah, I learned to sell that year, and I'd hated selling. That's why I wasn't making any money as an artist. I could paint, I could draw but I couldn't sell, I couldn't market myself um, because I just didn't have any confidence. Um, And, you know, low self-worth manifests in different ways. And for me, it was like, fuck you, fuck you, hate you, who are you, who are you? When what I was really saying was, I'm not comfortable with who I am, therefore Mm. you make me uncomfortable with who I am. And if you look like you're successful, that makes me feel weak. Yeah, that happens to a lot of people. It does. And people, you know, there's a saying I, I think is true for a lot of people, and that is hurt people, hurt people. I mean, that was me. I didn't know it because I wasn't self-aware. Um, but I learned to sell in 2006, and that was my transformative year. And I got on the phones and I sold products. And if I was an artist now, I spent half the time creating and half the time selling. Mm. Uh, and, I, and I learned, once you are okay with who you are, as long as you know you've got a good product behind you, you have no problem selling it. Mm. So that changed, and being open-minded to learning about business and money, I, I, it's weird to, to, to say, but I, I, I found money quite dirty. And, and so I would have unconsciously repelled it all. And I would, anyone who had money, I'd be like, oh, you know, you must have screwed people over. And That's it, definitely something I wanted to touch on because people have these like unconscious biases, especially yeah. with regards to money. Yeah. Like, a lot of people want it, but then they have these things that are holding them back. How, how did you, within having those, and then within that two, three year period where you learned to sell and you're creating and you're selling, um, what kind of things went off in your mind where that evaporated and or that changed for you? Well, it wasn't overnight. Mm. It was a continual process of re-educating myself. So what I had was the trigger, the motivator, the pain, the low point, the desire and drive from what happened with my dad, the wake-up call. Otherwise, Ryan, I'd have, I'd have still probably been like a zombie at 41, struggling away, hating the world. Yeah. Um, so there was the initial kick up the backside. And I always say to people, don't wait for that to happen to you. Make that come from you. So that, that, there was the drive and the energy there. And then I just thought, okay, well, I just need to figure stuff out. And you know, I didn't know I was going to go on a journey of self-discovery and a journey of um, relearning about money and a journey of um, re-understanding people and a journey of accepting everyone for um, who they are and a journey for in sales and marketing and all of that. But, you know, you read one book and in, and so probably the first book I read was um, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Yep. And then when you've read that one book, there's another three that now are on your reading list. Exactly. And yeah. then there's nine and then there's mm. 27 and then there's, you know, 81. And there's just how it goes on and on and on. Cause like, and so all of a sudden, all these doors are opening. I'm like, wow, there's this matrix of a world that I didn't even know existed, of personal development. Mm of the difference between perception and reality and you know the fact that you can change your outcome by changing your mindset mm. and your belief system 
And so then I'm learning about property and money and personal development and all of a sudden this, you get this momentum and velocity. Um, and over time, you can break old habits. You can unlearn things that have held you back. You can essentially become a different person. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and I certainly did. I mm. became more positive, less negative. I, um, like back then, if something happened to me that was bad, I would retreat. And I'd go and hide away and paint, listening to German heavy metal at two o'clock in the morning. And, yeah. you know, like put my pain into my art and hide away from the world and go on a few internet chat rooms and write dark poetry and yeah. talk to five other poets who hated the world as well. <laughs> that, was, that would be how I would handle pain and Misery rejection. loves company. Misery loves company. Mm. And now I'll get out there and I'll put myself out there on social media yeah. and I'll, I'll create products and services and look to create more value and I'll go out and embrace rejection instead mm. of hiding away from it. And, you know, look, that this, we're talking about a 15-year journey here, yeah. Ryan. We're not talking yeah. about a 15-minute journey. Mm. But day by day, one foot forward, you can read new books and talk to new people and, you know, hang around in different circles and, and things can change quickly. Absolutely, man. And like you said, it's a, it's a progressive Pardon the pun. <laughs> so I keep pitching us. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely is a progression, mm. um, and it's it's interesting because we've uh, picked the theme of breaking through, um, and I suppose we kind of think of a breakthrough as like a one moment thing, and it isn't. It is. It's little breakthroughs um, every day or every week or whatever. It's that progression, and every day you're a new person. You read one book, like you said, and then it's open three other books yeah. are now open to you. And it's like, oh, and then the curiosity stays with you because mm -hmm. you've, you've gained skills from reading that and you've, you're literally just evolving into a different person every mm. day. So that's amazing. I'm a, I'm a big believer in, um, especially now, uh, you can pick your mentors. Um, everyone's got books, podcasts, YouTube videos, things like that. Because um, I think people are kind of nervous about, oh, how do I find a mentor and things like that. And it's almost like, now if I, if I want Oprah to be my mentor, you know, listen to what she's saying, read her stuff and do as she does kind of thing. You know, I know you do like 15 minute calls with, with people. What's, what, how do you find the difference of um, like that personal phone to phone? Uh, mentorship as opposed to podcasts and books mm. and things like that? So I think there's two different things here. You can definitely get a bit of remote guidance. You can listen to Oprah's book. You can listen to Oprah's podcast. You can follow her on social media. And I think that's great. And it can give you a kickstart. But what it doesn't have is accountability, mm. support. Yeah. Uh, and if you, so it depends what mentor you want. I get asked to be someone's mentor all the time. Yeah, every day um, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. And some people, what they really mean is they want a question answered. Mm. What other people mean is they want a lot of on ongoing guidance and support what some people mean is they want me for free on tap yeah what other people mean is they're prepared to invest in themselves and they think that i can take them where they want to go so people that word mentor that people have different definitions so for me i try and get all of the boxes ticked people are always ask me rob should i do a or b well why couldn't you consider doing a and b so i listen to podcasts mm. i listen to audiobooks I follow people on social media who I respect and in different areas. It could be business, marketing, sales, personal branding, you know, someone who's got a massive podcast, you name it. And then, so I'll go, 
quite wide with a lot of people who would be my remote influencer mentors. Mm, yep. They're not phoning me every week seeing how I'm getting on. You know, they're not checking in and, you know, beasting me with accountability and stopping me from lying to myself and, you know, picking me up off the floor when I'm a bit wobbly, etc. So what I'll do is I'll go wide and then I'll, I'll look at, oh, who are the people I, I really admire or I want the results that they've got or they've got the tools to help me. And you don't know until you follow a load of people for a while. Because um, often some people come to me and they've been following me for, you know, a few videos and they say, oh, Rob, I like your style, I like your energy, I want you to be my mentor. But they've only been following me for a few videos. Right. You should probably give me a bit more time. Mm. Um, and, you know, the people who end up getting proper mentorship from me have usually followed me for six months or a year or two years and they've learned a lot from me already. Right. And they know they can go to the, to the next level. But then I'll pick, like, Dr. John Demartini or, you know, a, a big American marketer or salesperson or someone who runs the biggest events in the world. And I go, right, I, you know, I, I want you to be my mentor, which means going on their courses and their masterminds and having one-to-ones with them. And that's where you get hardcore support, accountability. Um, and so it's just really understanding what you need. I mean, you know, for years I've been giving 15-minute calls away to anyone who's really struggling or really needs it. I've never charged for it. If they're really down, they're really struggling. Um, and, and that's a nice pick-me-up and it can really help someone and it can change the direction of their life if, you know, they're struggling. Mm. But it's not ongoing support, mentorship and accountability. It's just maybe, it's just like a bit of a, a shot. Mm, mm. You know, but it's like coffee. You drink it, you get a good shot. You need another shot in a few hours. And... Um, I've realised that if I don't continually listen to podcasts and audiobooks and have mentors and keep educating myself, my energy, my solution focus, um, you know, my ability to solve problems quickly, that starts to diminish. Mm. Because unless you've started a business, sold it, started a business, sold it, started a business, sold it, and you're 75 years old, for most of us, even though I've got 15 years of experience in business, became a millionaire before 31, Still, every day I get up, I've not done this day before. That's right, yeah. Now, if I'd built company, sold, built, sold, built, sold, I'm like, oh, I know where we are on the trajectory. Mm. We are three years in, we've got two years left, and we're at stage four of six. Right. I would know that. But no one, no one told me to plan for the virus. And uh, I've not, you know, my company last year had its biggest year with its biggest challenges. And every mm. day's a school day and every day's a new day. So I need mentors who've been there before. I need mentors whose companies are four or five times as big. Or, you know, yeah, they remember that. That was simple. I remember when that happened. You just do this, this and this. Stand mm. on the shoulders of giants. Absolutely. What I liked what you, about what you said is investing in who you want to be your mentor. So these people usually have a course or something like that, that you can, you know, you learn a lot from that. But yeah. it's the ongoing support and the accountability, which is the major difference between having a... Yeah remote influencer guidance yes, that, that you said. Exactly, yeah. for someone who's actually guiding you and shielding you along mm. a journey. Um, so, you know, if there's a lot of information out there. Exactly. And I'm glad that Premium's kicking in now with the supporter programmes and Patreon and Luminary and all that, just to, just to widen the gap between all the noisy opinion content. Yeah, true and the good content, mm. and I'm glad that that's changing, but until recently, free advice was worth every penny, and there's just everyone's got a, a mouth and blurting out on social media, and how do you know what's good content and what's not? 
well, you soon know who's what's good content and what's not when you pay for it. Because mm. if I pay for a mentor and I don't get what I want, I feel underserved. That's right. Um, and I'm going to make some demands there. And you can make some demands and you get accountability. And, you know, how many people have been given a book and never read it? Well, loads of people. Mm-hmm. If you paid 50 quid for my book money, you're reading that. And whatever you were reading, you put down. 50 quid's not a lot of money, but it's a lot of money for a book. Mm. So it creates accountability. Mm-hmm. So investing in courses, education and mentors creates accountability and pain of loss. And, you know, if you don't implement what you're learning on these courses, then you're just wasting money. Mm. Anyway, do we have to tune out on the Instagram now? Thanks for tuning in on Instagram. <laughs> this was a test live stream. We'll be coming at you with more of these. This is Ryan Nile from Ryan the Nile. Ryan Nile Show. At ryan.nile.show on Instagram. <laughs> And we'll carry on for the Facebook. Brilliant. Yeah, and the rest of the interview. Lovely. Yeah. We're talking about the noise in uh, this podcast. Just content. There's so much. What I love about your message, which is kind of different to what I've heard about others, from others, um, is your view on money. Because people have this view on money that, you know, it's bad or it doesn't make you happy. People have this view that money can't make you happy and my view is and this is what I heard from you as well is that it's an it's an amplifier so you know if you're generous or if you're humble or if, if you've you know you've got good family life I believe that if you if I get more money more of that is going to happen you know and that's that's what I've heard you say mm. recently as well yeah and money makes you more of who you already are mm. so people say oh well money changes people It usually doesn't. It usually amplifies their existing traits. If you're an addict of something, money will fuel that, whatever that addiction is. Mm. If you're addicted to philanthropy, money will fuel that. If you're addicted to cars, there's a guy I know who lives locally. He's got the biggest um, supercar collection, I think, in the country. Wow. Um, He lives only about 12 miles down the road. Yeah. He earns more money. Where does he spend it? More cars. He's got pretty much every car you can think. He's got a 918 Porsche, LaFerrari. And what's the, there's the big three, what's it, McLaren P1? Got all three. Mm. Um, So you give him more money, he's going to buy more cars. Someone who loves watches, you give them more money, they're going to buy more watches. Mm. Someone who loves to serve and give back, give them more money, they'll serve and give back more. So, you know, often the common misconceptions, although people call them common conceptions about money, are, uh, are shared in the masses from poor people. Right. So, um, you know, I've never heard a, a really rich person say money is making me so unhappy and miserable. Please take it all. I can't <laughs> handle how unhappy my money is making me. Please take it all from me. Right. Now, I, you know, of course, people develop over time and they look into philanthropy and they look at doing good with their money. But they're doing good with their money. Mm. Now, I think the thing that people mean when they're trying to say money doesn't make you happy is that if you have a void of unhappiness money is not necessarily going to fill that void. That's it. But, um, you know, you can be rich and happy, poor and happy. Mm. You can be rich and unhappy and poor and unhappy. And sometimes people go, oh, well, look at all these people in the um, third world who are happy with nothing. Well, they don't know any different. But there's, mm. there's also happy, rich people. I'm a pretty happy guy. Yeah. My life is better with money. Mm. Um, I've raised way more money for charity. I can give more money. I can create more commerce and GDP. I spend more money on products and services. Can tip bigger. Yeah. So I, 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 
I am happier with money. I mean, it, it, it can be a bit of a trap mm. that you can... Because I do get these little hits of... I, I think you've got to distinguish the definition of happiness. Because yeah. there's contentment, which is like a, a settled feeling of happiness. There's like elation. Like if I bought a nice watch, I'd feel a sense of elation for a day or a week and then it's just a, what, another one of my watches mm. so so watches aren't giving me contentment although i have a ferrari testarossa sat in my garage and every time i look at that that there's a sense of satisfaction in having an iconic thing of beauty yeah um that's art so yeah Money will make you more of who you already are. Mm. Money will exaggerate your traits. It will fuel your addictions. Um, but it doesn't have to make you a greedy, evil person. It's not actually money that makes people greedy. It's greed. It's, mm. So human beings are greedy. Money isn't greedy because money is it's amoral. It doesn't have emotion. No, that's right. So what makes human beings greedy is greed, mm. which is a human trait. Now, you get greedy poor people yes. as well as greedy rich people. Yeah. And you get power-hungry poor people as well as power-hungry rich people. Mm. So all the emotions that we project onto money, they're human emotions. So right, Because Because yeah. for a billionaire that's using money to fuel wars, there's a billionaire that's giving it all to the third world to get rid of disease and do their best to help get rid of poverty. And mm. there's a lot more social responsibility now. Yeah. And there's a lot of billionaires giving all their money away and they're creating a lot of social enterprises. Now, if you're skint, you can't do that. That's right, yeah. You, you, you know, you cannot give what you do not have. Mm. So, so how, how do we get rich and happy? For the people, for people that I think want, that's a great want to, question. want to yeah. break through. How do we get rich and happy? Do you know what? Um, we should be asking those questions more. It's a really good question. I think the number one thing is to do something meaningful that earns you your money. Mm. So if you're going to exchange your time for money or create assets that create money, do something that you're excited about, passionate about, that is social, that's meaningful. Now, by the way, it doesn't have to be a social enterprise to be meaningful. It Correct. can just be a good solution to a common problem. Mm. An inventor might love inventing and comes up with a really quirky invention that solves a meaningful problem that, that scales. That, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But you know, earn your money in a way that you can also exchange your enthusiasm, your passion, your excitement. I think that's number one. Mm. Number two is make sure we ser use it to serve. Yeah. So I think the more you serve, the more fair exchange money you'll get. But some people are just, look, we need to earn money. But yeah, you need to earn money and that's okay. Um, you know, you have to think about profit if you want to run an enterprise. But you also want to e at least equally think, how do I serve? Mm. What, what problems am I solving? How can I make people's lives easier, better, more convenient? How can I make them feel better? Yeah, how can I make much, things how much value happen faster for them? Yeah, what value yeah. am I creating? Mm. Um, so my formula for wealth that I created is wealth equals value plus fair exchange times leverage. Wealth equals value plus mm. fair exchange times leverage. Value is what you create that serves and solves. Fair exchange is the sweet spot between I give you value and you give me money. And then leverage is how much I scale it. Mm. 
So, um, yeah, the next thing is um, do meaningful things with your money. Now, I'm not here to judge that because if you buy a Patek Philippe, then there is a watchmaker who has spent 50 years of their life becoming a master of the craft of watchmaking. Yeah. And you buy a Patek Philippe and you buy that and you buy their skill and talent and art and passion, and you buy the fact that they're paying their mortgage and feeding their children. Mm. So I'm not here to judge how you use your money and um, you know where you spend it, it goes somewhere else. So yes, you can be frivolous with your money. Mike Tyson spent a lot of money paying his friends, mm. and buying big fancy watches, and he, he didn't manage his money that well, but he created a lot of GDP around him. <laughs> so yeah. there was other people that benefited from that. So you've got to decide what's meaningful with your money. Mm. And for me, it's a balance of some, some material items that give me good value. Like, for example, I love listening to music. Mm. I love it. And it, it's really one of my few things that make time stand still and help me escape when I need to escape. And so putting a vinyl on, on a beautiful record deck, that I've spec'd out over 10 years and upgraded yeah. the cable and upgraded the cartridge and upgraded the arm and demoed a hundred different pieces to get this beautiful record deck, which is just to my taste of sound and it's as close to perfection as you can get. That constant upgrade path. I have a quarter of a million pound hi-fi system. Wow. But <laughs> I, when I was 14 years old, so... Um, when I was 13 years old, for Christmas, I bought my mum and dad a VHS record, a VHS um, recorder. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So to play VHS tapes. Yeah, yeah. And I'd saved up 180 quid over like a year of working, and that's all I had. And I bought them a VHS player. That's a bad financial investment, mm. but I felt so great that I bought my mum and dad a present. That you know, normally when you're that age at that time, you're buying five quid presents for your mum and dad. Of course. And I bought or, or, or making them. Yeah. <laughs> and I bought them a, a VHS rec uh, recorder and they were like, wow. Yeah. And then I worked and worked and worked and worked and saved all my money up and I bought my first separate systems, a Technics amp, a Technics CD player and some JMO speakers and speaker stands. Nice. And I was, what, 14 years old. And so I'm now 41. So for 27 years, I've been upgrading my hi-fi bit by bit by bit by bit, demoing bits, exchanging bits, buying little bits of hi-fi here and there, part exchange, you know, yeah. some little local hi-fi dealers making a little bit of money out of me. And so when you initially say, I have a quarter of a million pound hi-fi system, you think, what a greedy bastard, mm. or whatever you think. But that's, that's a 27-year journey. Wow. And I, by the way, I love the upgrade path. Yeah. There's... there's there's one pair of speakers and two set of power amps, which probably are the go-to that everyone will buy. The speakers are about a million quid uh, and the power amps are about a quarter of a million quid. I actually don't want to buy them. Mm. I want to journey up to them for the next 10 years. Little upgrade, little upgrade, little upgrade, little that upgrade, little so upgrade. That is so powerful. You know? Little upgrade, little upgrade. So for me, I'm listening to music. I'm fit, like, there's a song called Romeo and Juliet by Dire Straits. Mm -hmm. And you have not heard that song. I'm getting goosebumps saying this. I mean, I love all types of music. Yeah. You have not heard that song until you've heard that on my system. I need to hear because it. you can hear. We should do a um, we should do a, um, a podcast or a video or something at some point for sure. Um, but you hear his emotion. Mm. Like if you listen to Tears in Heaven from Eric Clapton mm. about his son who died falling out of a window on my hi-fi. Yeah, you'll feel that. Yeah, you feel that. 
Um, and that's art and that's beauty. And, 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 you know, surely we do everything to feel emotion. Mm. Um, and so to a certain degree, I'm, I'm using some of my money to feel something, to feel Absolutely. alive. And you know, each time I buy a record, I'm funding an artist to be able to record more of their work. Mm. And a, a second-hand record dealer who's passionate about records, who's probably not earning a lot of money. Because, yeah. by the way, what, what, digital music now is virtually nothing, but mm. most vinyl now, new, is 30 quid. Yeah. And like, I'm going back and trying to get some old vinyl that I like, like I love that first Plan B album, 200 quid. It's really? a band I love called Ocean Size, one of their albums. 150 quid. But I'm just thinking, you know what, There's, that money is going to good places. And I'm going to keep that piece of art for a long time. Definitely. It kind of it gives a throwback to um, experience of music before it was digital as well, mm. which it was quite kind of ephemeral. Like you hear it then and there. And you If you've know, got a good system, yeah. vinyl knocks digital hands down. And pound yeah. for pound, like you could have a 20 grand record deck and it'd kill a 50, 60,000 pound digital streaming kit. In, in my view. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, using your money, it's just an example of a, a, ch a way I choose to use my money. Um, now, anytime, if anyone ever does a, a charity raise, give or take, it depends. But 90% of the time, if someone does a charity raise or asks me for money or something, I'll put money in to try and use it for that good. Um, obviously, I want to put my kids through a good school. Yep. You know, and like a lot of people are like, oh, well, money, and you, sh you know, like you shouldn't be flashy and all that. Um, but do you want to put your kids through a good school or not a good school? Do you want to, nothing wrong with wanting a nice car? No, exactly. What's wrong? Who wants a shit car? I don't know anyone who wants a shit car. Even people who criticise everyone else who's got a good car. Well, yeah, I think people resign themselves to wanting those things and then saying, "Well, I can't have it." So then, when they see other people that have even maybe come from the backgrounds they have, and like, "Well, why has he got it or why has she got it?" I, I totally respect someone if they don't want something. Mm. They, they, do you know what? Sometimes that makes life easier to let go of the ongoing pursuit of material items. True. Fine. Just don't bitch about everyone else who wants to go and chase exactly. something. You exactly. know, I, I quite like chasing things. Well, I, I love what you said about presumably being able to go and get that million pound hi-fi system, but not wanting to. I'm wanting to build up. I want to go, go up in the stages. Because that's where the joy is. Yeah. And the joy is in the journey. I, do, I, I love that little bit yeah. of, of... Now, when you demo hi-fi, it's really weird because I demoed a pair of 55,000 pound speakers and they sounded awful. Mm. Um, and they didn't sound better than a pair of 15,000 pound speakers I had. Right. Um, and when you buy a cartridge, you get a really good one for it, which is the, where the needle is. You get a really good one for two grand and sometimes the 10 grand ones don't sound better. So, so it's not about the money. Mm. It's about finding that perfect component of a system for you. Just like Patek Philippe and finding the perfect movement in the watch and the perfect design. Um, and actually quite a lot of my hi-fi uh, held and retained its value or I made money on it. Um, so if you buy it well, I often buy part second hand. Mm -hmm. So I don't have the, I've got this, I've got this power amp. It's called Dart Seal. It's, it was 35 grand. I paid nine grand for it. Wow. And I'm listening to new amps that are 30, 40 and 50 grand. They can't beat my nine grand weird, quirky looking make that no one's ever. And yeah. there's, that's like, wow, it's just some fun in that. Like someone who's got like an old Lotus race car that they love and never really found anything that makes them feel any better than that.
Yeah. So it's not just about how much. It's about, the, like you said, the journey. Absolutely. And it's, of course, it's a bit of a cliche, but to find a really good piece of hi-fi equipment. By the way, the reason I'm talking about hi-fi a lot here is it's an analogy for everything. Of course, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but for me to get a good phono stage preamp, I've got a demo 10. For me to get a good cartridge, I've got a demo 10. Mm. And like one of my hi-fi dealers would go, Rob, I've got this cartridge, I think you're going to like it. And I get all excited, I'm like, right, yeah. bring it over. And, he, and I've, got, I've got to wait a week and he comes over with it and he, you know, he fits it all because he's got to um, measure it and level it. And I'm there for half an hour waiting while he's fitting it all. And then I listen to it and I'm like, oh, fuck, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> and I've got, I've got like five or six or eight let down. Yeah, but then yeah. that moment when you go, you just instantly know. And you get these goosebumps. I bought a pair of Wilson speakers, Wilson mm. Sasha. Um, they're just pound for pound. They're pound for pound. They're probably the best speaker in the world because they're not three hundred grand. They're forty grand, something forty-five grand, something like that. But I listened. I had a system set up where I was demoing, and there's a Rage Against the Machine song called Bomb Track, mm. um, which is it's their opening track of their massive album. And I listened to it, and I'm like, I've never heard that sound like that ever. Wow. And just had goosebumps. And I was just like, man, this is... And some people get that with travel. Some people get yep. that with buying a nice car. Some people get that with giving money away. But mm -hmm. that money creates that. Mm. Well, actually, it's not money. It's the latent value stored in money that you've got in money. So all the money you've got is latent value that's been exchanged. So however much money you've got is however much value you've put out there. Mm. Money yeah. is just a way of storing it and, and exchanging it. Mm. So people get what money is all wrong. When I'm able to buy a pair of 45,000 pound speakers with cash comfortably, that means I've created enough value in the world. Yeah, for real. Yeah. To be able to exchange that for a pair of speakers. Wow. Incredible. What I love about that is that it's all about finding the meaning or adding the meaning into uh into money into what you're doing yeah um you know even if you booking a holiday buying a concert ticket things like well you can't do those things now <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. This environment, but um that's literally buying happiness anyway yeah. because if i book a holiday for september i start experiencing that from now yeah not in september you're right you know so for that i've started i've bought excitement yes do you know what i mean yes. so it's about remodeling i think yeah but we're, we're, we're emotion making machines and we, we spend our money to feel something. And often, mm. addictions to money are spending money to f alleviate pain, mm. 100%. Um, the thing with, look, you gotta find what's your thing. And I respect people who wanna travel the world. I don't know if you've got kids, but I've looked forward to holidays oh, yeah. and then took my kids on holiday and it's been a fucking nightmare. <laughs> and sometimes the holiday is a bit, a bit like demoing that new piece of hi-fi equipment that you're excited about. Sometimes you go on holiday and it's, it's a bit yeah, let down. So that's and that's life. That it's is just life. the way it is. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah, I I, I spoke recently on a on a podcast and I talked about because um, you know we we all imagine these things like oh, I want this massive house I want blah blah blah, um, but we just kind of think of it as it's just a thing. You don't think of it in like a three sixty degree version. So if I want a mansion with seven bedrooms and a pool and stuff, like and it's only me and my missus. Well, six of the bedrooms are going to yeah. be empty. Um, we've got to pay for the maintenance of the pool. Yeah. Like, what does that look like? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, that's a bit of a paradox because I, I think if you sell out shooting for your dreams and you settle, mm. there's not that tension and that, that elasticity to go out there and hunt out your dreams. Right. So I'm a big one for setting goals and targets. Mm. I need to have something to go hunt for. Yeah. And for me, so the making the money is the reward at the end. It's the 
recognition that I got what I went out and hunted for. Got it. And I need that because that creates tension and energy and elasticity towards the goal. Mm. But then I can't be too attached to the goal at the end. Absolutely. So I'm, I live in a house which is six bed house, pretty big. In fact, it's a seven bed house. It's a pretty big house, but it's not a mansion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd actually fucking hate a mansion because I don't want to rattle around a place where I feel empty and lonely. I always lived in my dad's pubs. Yeah. You know, we all lived in a little flat above his pubs and it was quite small and I like cosiness. So even though we've got six big bedrooms, my wife and I live on the top floor, the fourth floor, but our bedroom's not huge, it's cosy. Yes, mm. we've got like a, a dressing room, but it's not huge. Um, and actually, it's look, it's a good house, but I could have a much bigger house with the financial resources that I've got. Yeah. But I've got my ideal house. There you go. Yeah. I love that. Like if, if, you, if it was on MTV Cribs, you'd go, that's a nice house. It looks nice. It's well laid out. The interior is awesome, but it's not massive. Mm. And I don't fucking care because I don't, I don't want to men, like you said, like, I, I, um, I, have, I had a hot tub and mm. the maintenance is just a pain in the fucking ass. <laughs> and every week the guy's coming out and then he gets the, the chlorine level a bit wrong and you go in there and you feel all disgusting and you mm. use it once a, a month or whatever. So it's a waste of time. A pool, you'd go in there twice a year, fucking waste of time. So there's so many things you perceive you want, but until you've actually had them, so it's that balance between using money wisely and having something to shoot for, mm. but then knowing what your limit is. I could live in that, even though I could build a brand new house and I could have something that's a big statement on the best road in, in Peterborough. Because I'm quite lucky here that, you know, the house prices are not mega compared to London. So, you know, I wouldn't be able to afford as much in London. Mm. I don't want to. I, I, could, I could live where I am for the rest of my... I built a garage so I could have a few of my cars in it. Yep. Um, and that was, you know, but I don't need 10 cars. That's beautiful, man. I, I, love, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that because it's about knowing, knowing your limits. Yeah. And that's not a negative. No. You know? And sometimes you've got to get to your limit to know what that is. Mm, mm, mm. So, like, what you can take on in a day, you know, how many jobs you can do, how much you can be on social media, how much criticism you can take, how many different tasks you juggle. You, you kind of got to get to your limit to know what that is. Mm, definitely. Amazing. What I want to pick up on as well is uh, throughout your journey, you've kind of balanced art and business. Even with what you kind of invest in, they're, they're of... inseparable. Yeah, in my, in my opinion, business is art, and art is business. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it's just amazing what you're doing with with your with your platform and with your personality. And you know, you've written ten books. Is that right? Fourteen. 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 Yeah, one's just with my editor at the moment, and we're halfway through another one, and we're a quarter of the way through another one. Wow. Yeah. So a, a book is a piece of art. Exactly. And um, a solution to the virus is a piece of art uh, and a, 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 a creative way of disrupting or being innovative is a piece of art. Absolutely. A lot of people say to me, hey, Rob, do you miss your art days? And I say, no, because I still get that creative need met. You know, the, um, I had this, um, I've got this jacket that's got red stars, a red, a bit, very bright red, this color red mm-hmm. um, on the arms. And the brand for Disruptive Entrepreneur is purple. Yeah. And so um, we've got all the t-shirts made up and I've got, I'm on brand with purple. And the, the purple Disruptive look completely wrong with the red. Yeah. So I've got a red one made. Right. And the outfit looks fucking good. Mm. And people comment on it all the time. And all I did was change that to red. <laughs> and now it 
works with an outfit. Got it. For me, that's just like a little piece of art. Mm. It, business is art. Absolutely. And if, if, if art is creativity, then be creative in business and you're an artist. Mm. I mean, people call songwriters an artist. Why can't an entrepreneur be an artist? It is an art. It is, and, and, and you can express yourself. Mm. I, I, I wear my own branded T-shirt, so I wear, I wear a 30 quid T-shirt with a thousand pound jacket, and I wear a pair of blue jeans and I wear a pair of brown shoes. And I wear a pair of stripy socks, which are an homage to the stripy brand of my company, Progressive Property. Yeah. And I'm an individual. And anyone else who dresses the way they want to dress is an individual. Mm. And I talk about what I want to talk about, and I'm an individual. And I'm pretty happy with that individual because I'm expressing who I am, but I'm also listening to my market. That's being an artist. Absolutely. And, 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 and I'd encourage everyone to do that. If you don't want to wear a suit in business, don't wear a suit in business. If you want to wear a suit in a business. So I know a couple of people quite well who are you know, out there educating people in business. Full suit, waistcoat, tie, handkerchief, the lot. And they wear that all the time. That's mm. how they, and you know, you know, fix up, look sharp. <laughs> and I, I think, you know what, I like that. I like yeah. that because that's who you are and that's your brand. Mm. And I like that. Mm. But it ain't me. Yeah. It's not me so, either. No. So, <laughs> love often. Yeah. You, you, is this a new one you're donning out? Yeah. So, this is a, a new jumper by a, a designer called um, C-Day. And, um, yeah, I'm just trying it out for the first time today. It's in my, my colour of yellow. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. Because, um, essentially, uh, art is create, creating something out of nothing. Yeah. It's the same as entrepreneurship. Of course it is. Entrepreneurship. Or humanity, since humanity has been humanity, has created something out of nothing. Mm. Everything's been created out of everything has been created out of an idea. So how, how is art and business and entrepreneurship any different? And I mm. think if like if an entrepreneur thinks of themselves as an artist, they probably take themselves more seriously. Mm. Because if you think of yourself as an artist, that's quite a thing to say. It is. I'm yeah. an artist, you know. Like if I'm a stylist, I'm an artist. If I'm a musician, I'm an artist. If I'm a dancer, I'm an artist. That's quite a statement, and I think that's a. I like that as a title. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go around saying I'm an artist, <laughs> yeah, an entrepreneur, but we are. That's what we are. Absolutely, I think as well because artists own their own quirks, don't mm. they? You know, so as an entrepreneur, you kind of think, oh, I need to fit into the more of the kind of business norms and things like that. But but no, if you're an artist. Own, own your individualism and, and yeah. make that work for you. I think as long as you're serving a market and you're doing good work, uh, mm. you know, so I have got a bit of rage against the machine, machine fuck the system in me. Yeah. I don't go around going, fuck you to everyone, <laughs> even though sometimes I kind of, when I get a bit defensive or a bit like I've had taken enough now, I sometimes feel a bit like, yeah, of course. Fuck you, fuck the world. I don't go around doing that in my mm. business. So there's certain elements of yourself maybe you want to repress and you've got to make sure you're always listening to your audience. Mm. So if 95% of my audience who I want said, Rob, I hate the way you dress and I hate this and that, I would listen. I think it's important to listen to get feedback, to continue to evolve. But usually when you're comfortable with who you are, people really like that because it it's makes true. them feel comfortable with who they are. It gives them permission to mm. be themselves. Yeah, I've been talking about that a lot recently, about people needing the permission to, to be themselves. That's why we gravitate to artists and stars. Influencers. Yeah, and influencers, because yeah. uh, they're being themselves. And mm. for the most well, part... not all are. Oh, yeah, not all of yeah. them. Not all of them. And how but do you know who is and who isn't? True. Yeah. True. I suppose there's that human element where you can kind of tell yeah. the, the BS yeah. from the, the real authenticity. Um, 
but it's especially sweet when you see someone being really authentic and they're making their living off of that. And they, yeah. you know, you see their journey and stuff. It's amazing. Yeah, that word authenticity is loaded. It's mm. a loaded word. I suppose I'd define it as an equal balance of being yourself, but understanding how you're projecting yourself out to the world. It's a good point. Because, you know, like, let's say you're an emotional person. I'm being authentic. Fuck you and fuck you. Well, no. Like, that's probably not smart to do. <laughs> it's true, is actually. It? Yeah, yeah. Um, so sometimes people mistake passion for being a dickhead. Mm. And so I actually think being authentic is expressing who you are, but controlling and managing your emotions such that you're aware of the version of you that you're putting out there. Mm. Um, because, yeah, you know, we're in a world now where it's very easy to get triggered. And just, oh, Major well, this is. is the authentic me. I think standing for stuff that you believe in, yes. I think fighting for the causes you believe in, yes. But leaking your emotions out every which way just because you feel triggered, I think that's something that you should manage and control mm. unless you want to build an enemy of two-thirds of the population. Yeah. That's so this, authentic, this word authentic is a bit more complicated than just be yourself. Well, first thing is, well, who am I? Because <laughs> yeah, I'm still discovering who I am. Yeah. Uh, you know, I spend time talking to my therapist and in business, being an entrepreneur, I've got pretty good self-awareness. I know where I'm going. I know who I am. I've got good self-worth and confidence. But there are other areas of my life, more, more personal and private, where I'm like, whoa, I'm a bit lost here. Mm. Am I this person or this person? Yeah. You know, who am I as a parent? Mm. Because I could get lost in entrepreneurship and not see much of my kids, and I don't want to do that. But I also know a lot of my identity is tied up in entrepreneurship. And being like, I don't really like hanging around with people and talking about stuff that's not related to business. Yeah. And I said that to my um, therapist and she was like, that's who you are, that's great. And I kind of felt guilty about that because maybe with my wife and my friends I should hang around with people who are, oh, let's not talk about business. It's not everything's just about business. Mm. Well, if it is for me, what do I do? Spend hours a week sitting and listening to stuff that doesn't light me up, pretending yeah. to be interested for the sake of other people? Mm. Or do I minimise that? Well, there's probably no right or wrong answer. <clears throat> It's a um, tough one. Yeah, because if it's for your wife, you do it because you're smart. <laughs> and you shouldn't, well, not just being flippant, but yeah, yeah. sometimes you do things for other people. Oh, no, of course. And that's yeah. good. Because you value the, their yeah. happiness. But then other times you have to do things for yourself. Absolutely. Because um, my mentor, one of my mentors, John Demartini says, um, if there's a choice between pissing someone else off and pissing yourself off, you should piss someone else off every time. Love that. <laughs> I love that. He calls that. it the law of lesser pissers. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, with regards to breaking through, um, so some of your book titles are um, it kind of the kind of read like a step by step process of breaking through. So I'm worth more. Start now, get perfect later. Money, no more, make more, give more, and life leverage. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like that realization of hold on, I'm worth more than this. You know, I'm you're in a job you don't like or whatever. Um, then the next step is, is something that I've, I really resonate with, is just, just, get, just get started. You know, people kind of get into this whole analysis paralysis, oh, I need the best equipment, I need all of these different things before I get started. And then you just end up staying where you are. Yeah. Start now, get perfect later. Money, hopefully the money arrives after you, you, know, you start giving value with whatever you're doing. Um, no more, make more, give more. Continue to learn. 
you know, continue to read, continue to, 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 to kind of be better at whatever your mission is. And um, life leverage, leveraging that out and finding the value um, in, in all areas of your life, like you said. Um, I just, yeah, I was reading, when I was thinking of the theme of this and then reading through that, I was like, oh yeah, that's pretty much a step-by-step process. Yeah, I like to write practical books. Mm. Um, so maybe there's fiction or analogy or allegory type books out of me in the future. Mm. But for now, I like to write practical books because I'm still in that mode of, if there's three E's, education, entertainment and emotion, mm. I'm still in the, the main E of education. Still got um, a journey to go on to work on the education, on the entertainment and the emotion from yeah. time to time. But um, so, yeah, I like to write practical books. Mm. It's just, you know, I, as an entrepreneur, how do you figure things out? Step one, step two, step three, step four, step five. Literally. Um, so I like that practical how to element and a lot of people who follow me like that. Definitely. And I guess as I grow, the um, entertainment and the emotion will come um, actually because when I do episodes about my therapy or I do live talks or I, I usually yeah. have the audience rolling around laughing. They tend to like that even more than my practical content. Mm. But I think that's my grounding and that, that's what I am. Um, I know, I feel comfortable in that space. Yeah. Well, I suppose that the, the emotion and kind of entertainment side will open a door for more people to get to, yeah. you know, the core. Yeah, I mean, I mean look, I'm not going out there trying to do funny videos on TikTok. <laughs> yeah. I probably could yeah. um, and pull pull off a bit of a short-term win. Mm. Um, yeah, and you know, there's probably more articulate, more artistic books out there. But one thing I am good at, and I'm not good at a lot of things, but I'm pretty good at making things sound quite simple. Mm. And I, I try not to overcomplicate things. Uh, I certainly will give a lot of information, and that can be a bit overwhelming, but uh, you won't hear me use really long words that people don't understand, or overly complicated formulas and technicalities like to make things pretty simple because then people can, more people can implement it. Mm. Now that's a skill in itself because they say if, if you can explain it to a child, then you can explain it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So the more, the more simple it is, the more accessible yeah. it is and the better it is. I want to reach as many people as possible. Absolutely. I don't want to cut a load of people out because I sound like I'm up my own ass with my writing style or whatever. Yeah. 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 How do you balance all of this? Because, you know, we're, we're on... Uh, we're in your studio, um, you know, you've got a massive podcast and stuff. And, you know, that's just one layer of, of what you're doing, big property company. Uh, how do you personally find balancing everything? Um, I like having quite a lot on the go. Mm. I get this sadistic kick out of it. Me too. And I definitely like variety. Yeah. So um, I'm my own worst enemy in that regard. Do you find that, that doing multiple things helps the other things that you're not doing at that time? To a point. Yeah. So I, I have a threshold of overwhelm mm. where, like anyone, I'll probably start to procrastinate or get stressed. And I've just got to know that limit. And sometimes I don't. But just under that limit for me is a really exciting point. Yeah. Right, I'm spinning that plate. It's working. I'm yeah, spinning yeah. that plate. So I'm making that happen. Ping, pow, pow, pow. You know, like making shit happen. Changing the world. So I've, for me, it's just striking the right balance of too much and not enough. I mean, I have, we have 90 odd staff in this building. Um, yeah, it's really so I've got a lot of, buzzing. I've got a lot of help. Mm. Um, I'm pretty good at leveraging. I, at the moment I'm working hard. I mean, when I wrote Life Leverage, I wasn't really working much at all. I was on semi-retirement or a sabbatical and I was traveling the world with my son's world golf championships. 
But at the moment, just because we're in a phase and a stage and with the virus and I want to really double down, like I'm doing double my content now that I was doing two months ago. And two, two months ago, I was doing double my content that I was doing before. Wow. So I'm doubling down on my content because my reach and my subscribers and my videos are going up and up and up at this time. Mm. So I'm the sort of person, make hay while the sun shines. I want to double down. Um, and yeah, you know, we've, we're going to have to look at ways to pivot and navigate what, you know, we're an events business, so we could get hurt. Yeah, so we've got to make sure that we yeah. don't. So we've got to figure that out. So um, I've got plan B, plan C, plan D, plan E. I'm having meetings every day about that. I'm planning mm. that every weekend. I'm still doing public speeches. I'm doing three or four of these at least a week. Um, still writing my book, still doing all my social media content. Yeah, I'm it's doing a lot. a lot of stuff. Yeah, but, it's, but it's really helping my energy. I mean, really, my energy's been really good. The more you do, the more yeah. energy you're getting. Yeah, I still try and do my gym every now and again yeah. if I can, so... No, yeah. that's, that's, that's incredible. Uh, yeah. I, I, look, there's two ways you can look at this situation. You can let it beat you down or you can rise up. Absolutely. And, um, I, I suppose yeah. as well, because you know, you're know you doing something you believe in, the more of that you're going to do, the yeah. more the ideas you get, the more you want to do. And it is a difficult time. And like you said, it's a, you're in a, the events business, but also at the same time, restriction breeds creativity. So yeah. I'm sure you're going to Chaos think of, breeds the new order. Yeah. 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 yeah and... We'll wait and see. I've got some ideas up my sleeve, but I don't want to announce them yet. Of course. But we've got some potentially exciting stuff, stuff that I would have launched before had I had the time or the desire. So maybe this is just fast forwarding them. Mm, innovation, yeah. innovation. Mm. Just on that with the, with the virus, obviously it's the most talked about thing um, in the world at the moment. Um, I'm sure you don't want to hear any more about it, but we're all in this situation. Um, what would you say people could, could do to kind of look at it a bit differently in terms of obviously it's all doom and gloom on the news how, how do we um make how do we see the opportunity within this and not from like not necessarily capitalist or anything like that but just at home like with your relationship or with a startup or whatever like. yeah okay so i think the main way you can do that is to see the upside mm. so at the moment with the, the reduction in energy across the globe and the, the panic and the fear, that's just seeing all the downside. Um, but um, you could be getting on much better with your husband and wife now, or wife, because you could be more supportive of each other. Mm. If you have to reduce your costs, then that means you're more lean. And then when you come out of it, you may have a better margin personally or professionally. You could maybe come out of complacency and you know, maybe you've got being a bit comfortable um, you could create a new product or service that could actually be better for the market. Mm. You could find out what you're made out of and realise you've got this latent resourcefulness within you that you didn't know you had. You can start to be more productive. Like I have cut out at least one third of the stuff I was doing four weeks ago, which, you know, weren't... I'm not saying I wasn't productive... But now I have to be hyper productive. Right. So you can be more, more discerning with mm. how you invest your time. Um, so many upsides. Mm. You might spend more, if you get quarantined, spend more time with your children. Yeah. If your, your competitors might be struggling and therefore you might have more market share. Because some of them may not, they may not survive this. Mm -hmm. You just got to see the upsides. Yeah, got to innovate. Yeah. Yeah, man. Wow. Just on a different subject, what three things, what three things are you struggling with at the moment, and what three things are helping with those 
okay, not struggling. What three things are challenging you at the moment? And how, what three things are helping you with that, those challenges? Um, so for about six months, I've, I've got a therapist and I've been using a therapist as a way to try and get through my layers of stuff I'm holding in or, yeah, some under-the-surface things that aren't resolved mm. or I'm a bit lost and confused about. So that's one. Mm -hmm. And that's mostly linked to my personal identity, not my professional identity. I'm 40 years old. You know, where, where personally, what's going to happen when I'm 50 and 60? Yeah. And, you know, these, these pains and issues I had when I was young, which, you know, weren't drastic, but they're still causing confusion and l feeling lost. I've had situations in the last six months where I've been surrounded by people but felt very alone. Mm. And I've since understood from talking to a lot of people, that's quite common of, of leaders and entrepreneurs who haven't got anyone above them to go to. Um, so that's been one of my struggles and challenges. It was weird because I've done so much for personal development and I, was, I had pretty good belief that I was a self-aware person. Right. But I've definitely uncovered some layers of, wow, I didn't, didn't understand that about me. Or whilst I knew that, I thought it came from here, but it actually came from there. Right. So I've had quite a, a lot of extra self-discovery, which has been really good. Mm. So that's one struggle. Yeah. Like you said, challenge. I'm not depressed. Um, I have my moments. The second area is probably rest and relaxation. So I've tried meditation for a few, a few years, for a few times. I still haven't really got that down. And I probably don't spend enough time on myself, mm. i.e. my own hobbies and my own free time. Because I love business. It's just I always default to that. Right. And so I've, I've probably got to find ways to find a bit more of that and mm. feel good about doing that. Is there like a guilt element within that? No, not really. There's just an itch to be productive. Right. So well, if maybe I'm, that, if I'm Sunday and I'm supposed to be resting, yeah. I'll just want to go and do something on social media or make a plan for Monday or whatever. It's not... No, I don't really feel too much guilt. I mean, I want to make sure I spend enough time with my children and there's yeah. guilt there if I don't. Right. Um, it's just an itch to be productive because I love what I do. Mm. Do, you feel, do you feel in your body you need to be relaxed or is it more of a concept that That's what you should... tells me. I don't really, I don't know, I don't really feel, I don't know. Because even like the concept of, um, of meditation, uh, what I love about Headspace, the app, is it, it kind of remodels the thinking of meditation where it's literally about acceptance. Yeah. It's not, you need to quiet all your thoughts and stuff. It's like, yeah. whatever's going on, yeah. just accept it. Well, I've done that and I can do that. Mm -hmm. Definitely don't feel like, oh, I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. Whatever comes into your head, comes into your head. I, I suppose I have a little bit of an addiction to work and being productive such that mm. if I'm not doing anything, I get this itch. And I'm not very good at doing nothing. Mm. 
and I'm not very good at being bored. Yeah. And I, I feel like I should embrace that a bit more. Mm. Mm. But maybe, again, it's like maybe remodelling what that would be, like going to like a silent meditation retreat or something like that, for oh, example. That's the scariest no. thought in the world. And that's why you should do no it. No chance. <laughs> and that's why you should do it. Because what, what's going to come out of that? If Rob Moore goes into that setting, what comes Social out of media that? Social will be quieter, won't it? Well, Everyone what, what, think no, I'd have died. What content would come out of that? Yeah. Yeah, that's scary for me. So I know mm. I'm addicted to productivity. Yeah. Hang on. Yeah. Costa coffee. Um, <laughs> then the third challenge at the moment is just navigating through this time and reinventing ourselves, yeah. which is it, which most people have got to do unless you're in e-commerce or you sell toilet rolls. In which case, you're probably, you know, rolling in it. <laughs> Literally. Um, yeah, but yeah, and that's a quandary and a challenge. But I'm, that I'm, I'm 85% excited about that. Mm. So, yeah, it's just, yeah, they're my three main challenges. Brilliant. We've got brilliant. a meeting. Well, I've got a meeting. Absolutely. Come soon. Got anything you want to finish on? No, that, that, was, that was my finish on. All right, so, boom. yeah. Or the Corona spot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Thank Thanks you for so tuning much. in, everyone. The Ryan Nile Show is on all platforms. Um, you can see the video on YouTube. That's youtube.com slash Ryan now and all of Rob's platforms, of course. Um, yeah, thanks for tuning in. Really, really enjoyed this. Really enjoyed this, Rob. Thank can you so much. Can we give a shout out to my podcast? Of course. The Disruptive Entrepreneur. The Disruptive Entrepreneur. Yeah. One of the best podcasts out there. Make sure you tune in. Thank um, you very much. Yeah. Cool. All right, nice Brilliant. one. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. Remember, you can watch the full episode on youtube.com slash Ryan Nile. Follow me on at ryan.nile.show on Instagram and at Ryan Nile on Twitter. Twitter, Twitter, Twitter.